Hey, everybody. Welcome to church today. How's everybody? You're good. If you're watching online today, we want to say welcome to Epic Church. Um, We're glad that you guys are viewing online today, and we especially are grateful for everybody um, that's on campus today. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, we are in part three of a sermon series we we started a few weeks ago called End Times. So everybody say End Times. That little jingle there, I don't know how many of you are kind of singing along with that, but uh, the only way you can really feel fine about the end times is if you know Jesus. Can I get an amen right there? Okay. Uh, the only way you can really feel good about that is to have a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because what we're doing is we're unpacking what the Bible has to say about some end times events and some events that are going to happen in the future. And uh, God doesn't, uh, it's not a God of surprises, okay? He just kind of lays it out there, and I'm glad that he lays it out there and gives us a choice. And uh, today we're going to unpack part three of our end time series. Okay. Um, So we're just going to kind of jump right in today if we can, because like Trent has told us over the last couple of weeks, we're kind of taking a big gulp out of a fire hose as we walk through this series and we're going deep and wide. We're covering a lot of ground this way and we're going to dive deep into God's word. And we're just going to try to unpack as much as we can uh, throughout this particular series so that we understand what God has to say about what's going to happen in the future. So if you're ready to dive deep today, say, "Uh uh-huh. All right, we're ready. We're going to have a good time today, okay? So um, if you have a copy of the timeline that we've been giving out over the last couple of weeks, let me encourage you to grab that for just a second. And uh, maybe in just a minute, it's going to come up on the screen. But if not, let me tell you about what we talked about in week number one, okay? In week number one, uh, we talked about uh, the idea that you and I are living in the church age, okay? Uh, You and I are living in a period of time to where Jesus said he would build his church in the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it, okay? So that's number one on your timeline. Last week, Trent talked about events number two, three, and four. Uh, Event number two is what's known as the rapture of the church. That's when Jesus is going to step out of heaven uh, with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God is going to blow. And the Bible says that uh, Christ's followers, if they have already died or if they're still alive, are going to be raptured raptured away or caught up in the air to meet Jesus face to face, okay? Now, once the rapture of the church takes place, there's going to be this seven-year period known as the tribulation period. That's what we're going to talk about today. But while that tribulation period is going on, and numbers three and four on your timeline, Trent talked about last week, the judgment seat of Christ is an event that's going to take place in heaven. That's where those of us who are Christ's followers uh, are going to stand before Jesus Christ, and he's going to ask us one question. What did you do for me? What did you do for me with the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the resources that I gave you? And he's going to reward us for what we did for him on this side of eternity at the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's what's called the marriage of the lamb. The marriage of the lamb is basically a ceremony uh, that's going to wed Christ followers as the bride of Christ to Jesus as the bridegroom, uh, as the head of the church, and eternity in heaven uh, will begin for the body of Christ uh, after the rapture of the church. But what's going to happen on earth is this period known as the, as the tribulation period. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. And here's what we need to know and understand about the tribulation period right up front. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period are going to be a time of, of basically peace. Uh, specifically, there's going to be peace with the nation of Israel. And, and when you understand end times and prophecy, you're going to hear a lot about the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. And God has much to say about his relationship with Israel. And during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, there's going to be peace. And the reason I mention that today is regardless of what uh, political party you're a part of, regardless of what you think about our president, Donald Trump, do not discredit what he has done in relationship with Israel over the last four years. Uh, number one, he moved the embassy to Jerusalem, which is God's capital city. It's God's holy city. Regardless of what man says about where the embassy should be or whether it's Tel Aviv, or, God said it's Jerusalem. It's always been Jerusalem. It always will be Jerusalem. Uh, and the, 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 the number of nations that are coming to the table today to make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, I believe is prophetic in the sense that there is coming a period of time, the first part of the tribulation period where there is going to be peace in Israel. And you know what? For over 6,000 years of human history, there has never been peace within the nation of Israel. And it's happened just in the last four years. So that's very significant. We need to understand why that's important in the tribulation period. And then the last half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, uh, is going to be a time of literal hell on earth. And I don't know if you can imagine, it's hard for me to imagine at some level that when the rapture of the church takes place and millions and millions of Christ followers are raptured off of the earth, can you imagine what kind of utter chaos and confusion the world is going to be in? With a 24-hour news cycle that we live in today, it is literally going to be utter chaos, and the world is going to be looking for a leader to step on the world scene at that particular time and lead through what the Bible calls the tribulation period. That leader is known as the Antichrist in Scripture, and we're going to talk about him in just a minute. But before we dive into the book of Revelation today, uh, let me just give you a little bit of an outline so that you understand Revelation as a whole, okay? In Revelation chapter one and verse number 19, here's what uh, John wrote. Now, the, the, Revela the book of Revelation was, was just that. It was a revelation that Jesus gave to the apostle John, who was his, his follower, one of his disciples, about the future events that were gonna take place. And here's what uh, he wrote in John chapter one and verse number 19. Jesus says, therefore, John, write what you have seen. That's recorded in Revelation chapter number one. And in Revelation chapter number one, John saw the revealed Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, sitting on his throne in heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. And you can go read about that revelation that John saw uh, in uh, Revelation chapter number one. He also says, write what is. 
Now, John lived in the first century AD after Jesus resurrected, his, uh, resurrected from the grave. He, he gathered his Christ followers around. He said, I'm about to leave to go prepare a place for you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I'm going to build my church upon uh, through your ministry and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And in the first century, Jesus instituted what you and I know as the local church. We are living in the church age today. We are living in the age of grace. So John says, so Jesus says, write what you have seen, the revelation of me, write what is, John, that's the church age, what you're living in uh, now, and it's the church age that you and I are living in over 2,000 years from this revelation, and what will take place after this? So in Revelation 1 and verse 19, we have an outline of the book of Revelation as a whole, and from Revelation chapter number 4 all the way through Revelation chapter number 22, you'll have revealed to us the things that are going to take place in the future. And today we're going to focus on the first part of those future events, the the great tribulation period. And if I could take you back to our timeline for just a second, just to remind you, we are living in the church age, the age of grace. At some point, the rapture of the church is going to take place in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But during this seven-year period between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, which are two separate events, we learned that last week. And if you missed any of the first two parts of this series, please go to our social media sites. Please go to our website so that you can understand everything that we've talked about. But in between those two events, there's going to be this tribulation period where God reveals some things that are going to happen on the earth. Daniel, who was an Old Testament prophet, literally prophesied about this seven-year period in 600 BC. So 600 years before Jesus was ever born into this world as a baby in Bethlehem, God, through the Old Testament prophet Daniel, prophesied about this period that we know we're going to talk about today as the Great Tribulation. Listen to what he said in Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 27. Daniel 9 and verse number 27, the Bible says this, he will make a covenant with many for one week. Now, here's what we need to understand. The he there that that verse is referencing is a reference to the Antichrist. Okay, we're going to talk about him in just a minute. So, so Daniel is prophesying that there's going to come this world leader who is going uh, to, to make a firm covenant with many for one week. Now, here's what we need to know about one week. And you can read this in the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 9. But for our purposes today, we need to know and understand that one week represents seven years on God's timetable. Okay, so how many years does one week represent, class? Seven years, okay? So that's what we need to keep in mind as we're talking about the great tribulation period. It says the Antichrist will make a firm covenant with many for seven years. But in the middle of the week, what's that? Three and a half, okay? In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. That's basically what's going to be happening in the holy city of Jerusalem Jerusalem, because there's going to be peace. He'll put a stop to the sacrifice and the offering and the abomination of devil, desolation. Translation, the period of great tribulation. The abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out 
on the desolator. So here's what I want to try to explain to you. I want to explain the what of the great tribulation and then the why. The what, very simply, is that seven-year period that's going to happen in the future between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, okay? That one week, that seven-year period of time that's gonna happen in the future. The reason why it's important for us to understand that is because the Bible is full of prophecy. Matter of fact, there are over 2,500 prophecies throughout all human history about people, places, and events. And, And to date, and I would encourage anybody to do a serious study of this if you really question the reliability and the authority of the word of God, but you can set Christianity aside, you can set the Bible aside, and historically you can verify the prophecies that the Bible has presented to mankind throughout all human history, and to date over 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled just exactly like the Bible says. Dot the I's, cross the T's. God doesn't leave anybody in the dark about humanity and his relationship with them. And the reason it's important for us to understand is because we can trust the reliability of the word of God. We can trust the reliability of the Bible. And here's my hope for today. My hope for today is that as we talk about the great tribulation period, we'll have a better understanding about the true scripture that you and I get to hold in our hands and read every day if we choose to, that we will also be motivated uh, to make sure that we're living our life in a way that honors and pleases Jesus and we're doing our part to advance the gospel in our world while we still have an opportunity and that we take as many people to heaven as we possibly can with us so that they don't have to face this great tribulation period that we're gonna talk about today. Now, what about the why of the tribulation? Daniel answers that question as well. In Daniel chapter nine and verse 24, he explains why there's going to be this period of time. He says in verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. So that's a prophecy about the nation of Israel. And he says there's this 490 year period on God's timetable uh, that deals specifically with the nation of Israel. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. That would be Jerusalem to bring the rebellion to an end. Here's the why of the, re- uh, uh, of, of the great tribulation, to put a stop to sin, to wipe away ju- injustice, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So the reason there's going to be this great tribulation period, this seven-year period of time in the future, is because once and for all, God Almighty, Jesus Christ himself as God in the flesh, as King of kings and Lord of lords, is going to judge humanity and the sin of the world once and for all. And we love to talk about God as a God of love and God is a God of love. And we love to talk about God as a God of grace and God is a God of grace. And we love to talk about God as a God of mercy and God is a God of mercy and long suffering and all that stuff. But here's what we gotta know, church, about God Almighty and the person of Jesus Christ. As much as he is loving and merciful and long suffering and gracious, he is equally just and righteous and holy. 
And he can't have any part with unrighteousness and he can't have any part with sin. That's why Jesus came to this earth to pay the sin debt once and for all, to be the perfect sinless sacrifice so that you and I could be forgiven, we could know him and we could experience a close personal relationship with him on this side of eternity and be able to know that our eternity is secure in a perfect place called heaven forever and ever and ever. And there's gonna come a time that God is going to judge the sin of the world once and for all. And it's going to begin during this period of time known as the Great Tribulation. Now, let me give you my disclaimer today, okay? Uh, today's talk as we unpack Revelation chapter 6, it's going to be a bummer, okay? Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be depressing, um, but my hope is that we will all, even those of you who are watching online, that we will all be motivated to understand that God's word tells us what's going to happen in the future. And we can go out and live our lives with meaning and purpose and significance and make a difference in other people's lives so that they don't have to go through this particular period of time known as the Great Tribulation. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack Revelation chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to have some scripture on the, on the screen. But we're going to walk through Revelation chapter 6 today as best we can. And we're going to talk about what's, what the Bible calls the, the, the six seal judgments of Revelation uh, chapter number 6. Okay. So in Revelation chapter number 6, uh, John sees this vision of a scroll that is handed to Jesus. Jesus on his throne. And Jesus begins to open the scroll and he begins to reveal the events of the great tribulation. Now to help you understand an Old Testament scroll, obviously they didn't have pen and paper like you and I have today. Uh, it was a papyrus plant, uh, which is what we can make paper out of today, or it was the hide of an animal that would be rolled up and, and you could write on that. And these particular seals would be kind of like a, a, a wax substance that, substance that you could put along that seal and you could break this first seal and open it a little bit and read to that. And when you get to the second seal, you break that seal and you read a little, little bit more. And it's kind of like us uh, turning pages in a book, so to speak. So what we're going to see today from Revelation chapter six is Jesus himself reading, uh, opening the scroll, breaking the seals one by one and revealing to the apostle John what he wants him to write down about future events. Okay. So here we go. Revelation chapter six uh, and verse number one. Here's what the Bible says. John says, then I saw the lamb, that's Jesus, open one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there was a white horse and the horseman on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out as a victor to conquer it. Now, let me explain something to you as we begin today. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Trent kind of talked about how do we know when the Bible can be taken literally uh, as it relates to end times or when it can be taken figuratively. Uh, today, what we're going to talk about is primarily figurative speech, or I like to call it symbolism. So I'm going to do my best to interpret the symbolism of, Ro of Revelation chapter 6 today as it relates to uh, the great tribulation. And the Bible says, and the reason that we know that is because he says, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like 
thunder. If you go to Revelation chapter four, verse seven, you have an explanation of who those four living creatures are. And listen to what that says. It says the first living creature, look here, was like a lion. It wasn't a literal lion. It was like a lion. What does a lion have to do with? A lion has to do with authority and power. And that speaks of the authority and the power that Jesus Christ has as God on the throne. The second living creature was like a calf. It wasn't a literal calf, but a calf speaks of uh, the sacrifice and the service of Jesus to humanity. The third living creature had a face like a man. That speaks of the deity of Jesus, that he literally was God in the flesh. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And an eagle speaks of the deity of Jesus being uh, completely God and all man at the same time. I believe that these four living creatures are the highest class or rank of angels that God created in eternity past. And that they, they, they are at God's access on a daily basis, leading worship in the throne room of God, conducting the affairs of man, and, 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 uh, and doing whatever it is that God needs them to do uh, whenever God needs them to do it. Uh, I believe that's the representation of the four living creatures. And as we walk through Revelation chapter six, we're going to see these particular creatures who give John uh, the revelation. So in verse two of chapter six, John said, I looked and there was a white horse and the horseman on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out as a victor to conquer. Now, we know that this sounds like Jesus, but this is not Jesus because Jesus doesn't come back riding a literal white horse, I believe, until Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11. You ought to jot that reference down and you ought to go read it for yourself. When Jesus comes back at his second coming, the Bible says he's going to come back on a white horse and he's going to have a sword in his mouth, which is the word of God with which he is going to judge the nations of the earth at his second coming. But this This white horse right here symbolizes that there's going to come on the scene in the world one day a conqueror. And even though this is not Jesus, we know that this is a substitute. This is an imitation. We know him as the Antichrist based on some other passage of scripture. You see, for everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. Satan has an imitator. All right. Um, and it's, for instance, we have God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, that makes up what we know in Christianity as the Trinity. Uh, Satan also has what I call an unholy Trinity. Satan wants to be God, doesn't he? That's why he rebelled in eternity past and God cast him out of heaven. His dominion and his domain is the world and the world system. Uh, uh, Jesus is God in the flesh the son of God. The Antichrist is the imitation of Jesus that the the enemy, that Satan is gonna send on the world scene to make people believe or to make people think that that the Antichrist is Jesus himself. Then we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we're gonna learn in weeks to come where there's a third part of the unholy trinity called the false prophet. So for everything that God has that is, that is right and pure and perfect, the Antichrist has an imitation and, and, and people are going to follow this, uh, this person one day thinking that he is Jesus himself. And John says, I saw and he had a bow. Well, the bow simply represents his, his power that he's going to have on the world scene one day. 
the book of Daniel tells us he's going to be a great political leader. I personally believe he's going to come out of the European Union. Uh, I, I, uh, the Bible says he's a great orator, which means he'll be able to speak great. And people are going to want to listen to every word that he has to say. The Bible also says he's going to be a very charismatic leader. In other words, everybody's going to like him. Everybody's going to want to be around him. Everybody's going to want to follow the latest trend. Everybody's going to want to hang on every word that this world leader has to say because he is going to have world power. The crown speaks of his dominion and the authority that he is going to be given through the political system. And this writer we know as the Antichrist is going to come on the world scene in that moment when there is utter chaos after the rapture of the church and he's going to win the world over through political deception instead of military strength. Can I just tell you, pre-COVID, I thought it would be, it was really, really hard for me to imagine that the, we could have a one world system and that the world would follow one particular individual. But you know what? We've got all kind of cashless apps nowadays, and cash is going away really quickly. Bible talks about that as well. But Trent talked a couple weeks ago about his opinion of COVID being a great social experiment that, that, that people are leveraging. I, I agree with that assessment because here, here, here's the thing. Over the last eight or nine months, the whole world has followed the recommendation of about three or four people. And we've passed with flying colors as far as I'm concerned. We've done everything that we've been told to do. We've shut our schools uh, for a period of time. We've homeschooled our children. We've closed down our businesses. We're all wearing masks. Uh, We've done everything that we've been told to do by about three or four people and the whole planet is doing the same thing. So it's not that hard for me to believe that there's going to come a day when the world's going to believe in, they're going to follow one guy and he's going to set the tone. And John saw a revelation of this false Christ that people are going to believe as the real deal. So then the second seal is broken in chapter six, verse number three. It says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its horseman was empowered to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another and a large sword was given to him. What did John see when this second seal was opened and read by Jesus? The red horse is a symbol of war and bloodshed. Remember in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said there would be war and rumors of wars in the end times? Well, John saw visions of war and bloodshed. And listen, when a devil-inspired leader shows up on the world stage with ideas of military conquest, listen, you can bet wars and desolation and and military strength is going to ramp up and it's going to follow after him. Listen, the Bible never prophesies that the world is ever going to get better and better. I don't care what anybody tells you. 
Listen, God, get, God, God doesn't leave anything to chance. God always tells us everything that he wants us to know. That's why you and I have a completed Bible, which was God's revelation to humankind. And the Bible never prophesies or tells us that if we'll just live a certain way or we'll just talk a certain way or if we'll just behave a certain way or if we'll save enough trees and we'll cut back on natural disaster. And I believe we ought to be great stewards of planet Earth. But the Bible never says that the world is ever going to get better and better. The Bible says the exact opposite, that the longer Jesus tarries his coming, the world's going to get worse and worse. And here's the thing. All you got to do to understand that is go home today and turn on MSNBC, CNN, or Fox News, or whatever network you choose to watch. And you'll see that that prophecy is actually true today. And Jesus predicted it over 2,000 years ago. And when John saw this vision, he saw war and bloodshed. I believe the large sword that John saw in this passage of scripture is nuclear weapons. That's Pastor Brian's opinion, okay? So that's just my personal opinion. I believe that, that John literally saw nuclear weapons when Jesus gave him this revelation. I'll show you why I believe that in just a minute when we get to the end of chapter number six. So in this particular seal, John saw war. Then there's the third seal, verse number five. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a black horse and the horseman on it had a balanced scale in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the olive oil and the wine. When the third seal is open, John saw a black horse. The black horse is symbolism, a representation of famine and starvation. I believe John saw that in this vision. The scales represent the food rationing that is going to be required during the great tribulation period so that people will just be able to make enough wages to be able to buy enough wheat and meal or even a loaf of bread. Can you imagine working a full day's of work and all you get out of that hard day of labor and work is enough to buy you and your family a a loaf of bread. And that's it. John saw starvation and famine. And no wonder in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 19, when Jesus prophesied this uh, before he res in his ministry, that Jesus said things like, woe to those women who are pregnant in that day, because they're not even going to be able to feed themselves, let alone the children that they're bearing and the children that they're feeding on a daily basis. And I believe John saw famine when that third seal was broken. Verse seven says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a pale green horse and the horseman on it was named death and Hades. That's the Hebrew Aramaic word for the place of the dead. We would call it the grave. Death in the grave was following after him. And authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by wild animals. What does the fourth seal and the the green pale horse represent? That word death there uh, is the Greek word chloroth, chloros. It's where we get our English word Clorox, okay? And what happens when you put Clorox on something with color? The color dies, doesn't it? The color goes away. And, 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 and what was once had life and vitality is gone. And when death takes place, that's exactly what happens to, uh, uh, to our bodies, the, uh, that there's literally this, this flush and, and, and what once had color is, 
is no more. And John saw a vision of death. And, and when that seal was broken, he said, I believe he saw how the death was going to take place. He said that horse and that rider had a sword. Again, I believe that's modern warfare weapons. He saw famine. People were literally going to starve to death because there's not enough food to go around. I believe he saw uh, uh, plagues. You and I are living in a global epidemic today. Just in my lifetime, I've seen outbreaks of things like anthrax and Ebola and smallpox, and we're living with with COVID today. I believe that John saw all of these plagues when that fourth seal was broken uh, by Jesus on the throne. But then there's this idea of wild animals. I don't know about you, but when I think about a wild animal, I think about a lion or a tiger or a rhinoceros, or a crocodile, or, or, or something like that. Um, but one of the leading authorities, I want to give you a different take today, based on one of the leading authorities in end times prophecy. Trent mentioned him a couple weeks ago. He's a guy by the name of David Jeremiah. And I would encourage you, if you want to dig deeper into end times prophecy, he's a great person to follow after and, and to read. And you can find some of the information about him on our Spiritual Growth Challenge if you want to pick those up today. But Dr. Jeremiah has a different take on these wild animals. Here's what he says. He said, I have another theory and I'm quoting here, I have another theory about these wild animals since they accompany famine and plagues. The most destructive creature on the earth, Dr. Jeremiah says, is the rat. He is a menace to human health and food supply and the nasty creature comes in more than 100 species. Rats are extremely prolific, producing five or more litters of eight to 10 each year. And it has been estimated that rats are responsible for the loss of more than $1 billion worth of food each year in the United States alone. Typhus killed an estimated 200 million people in four centuries and the disease that was transmitted by them was transmitted by rat fleas. I don't know if those wild animals that John saw are rats, but makes sense. When you look at what's accompanying them, famine and plague and death. So when that fourth seal was opened, John saw death. In Revelation chapter six, verse nine, it says the fifth seal was opened. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls, those slaughtered because of God's word and the testimony they had. And they cried out with a loud voice, O Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood for those who live on the earth? So a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number of them, their fellow slaves and their brothers who are going to be killed just as they had been would be completed. What did John see when this seal was open? I believe he saw martyred Christians. People who are going to be saved during the great tribulation period, who are going to reject following uh, the Antichrist, are going to reject the mark of the beast, they are going to reject going with the status quo, and they're going to be martyred for their faith, I believe, by being beheaded. And you can go read about that in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number four, when they show up again around the throne room of God, and God specifically talks about them being beheaded in Revelation chapter 20. The reason that's important for us to understand is that Satan, and as mighty and as powerful as he is, is not almighty and all-powerful. 
And he may be able to destroy the body, but he cannot touch our souls. And that's why created in God's image, if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we are body, soul, and spirit. And regardless of how we're taken off of this, 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 taken out of this earth, as far as death is concerned, whether it's sickness or disease or an accident or we're persecuted or martyred or whatever it is, uh, it, uh, the enemy cannot touch our soul if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. But John saw martyred Christians. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Brian, if people are going to get saved during tribulation, why do I have to get saved now? Uh, the reason you need to get saved now is because if you're here today or you're watching online today, you have a knowledge and an understanding that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to spend eternity with you. And if you reject that on this side of eternity, here's what the Bible says. During this period of time, the great tribulation period, you will believe a lie. I believe these people who are saved during the great tribulation are people who have never heard that Jesus loves them and that Jesus died for them and that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with them. Let me show you what I'm talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number two says, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. In other words, you reject Jesus. And because you reject Jesus on this side of eternity, for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false so that all will be condemned and those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. If you don't get saved on this side of eternity and you've heard the good news of the gospel and you've had an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, the Bible says in the great tribulation period, you're gonna believe that the Antichrist is Jesus himself. And you're gonna follow him. You're gonna follow him into eternity separated from God. Listen to me, church. Pastor Brian didn't say that. God said that. God said that. And God leaves no surprises when it comes to his relationship with him. And when that fifth seal was opened, John saw martyred Christians. I'll take it one step further and simply say, God never sends anybody to hell. People choose to go there. Because the greatest gift that God gave us is a free will and a free choice. And God's never gonna browbeat us. He simply says, I love you more than you could ever imagine a dream. I wanna spend eternity with you. I wanna do life with you. I wanna help you navigate the difficulties and situations that you're gonna face on planet earth on this side of eternity. And then the choice is ours. Then there's a sixth seal and we gotta hurry and we're almost done, I promise. Sixth seal, Romans chapter six, verse 12. Then I saw him open the sixth seal and a violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of the heavens fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs. Uh, when shaken by a high wind and the sky separated like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and islet was moved from its place. What did John see at the sixth seal? He saw what I call cataclysmic chaos. He saw earthquakes. He saw darkness. He saw stars fall. Did you know there's a program at NASA known as the NEAT program, N-E-A-T? It's the Near Earth Asteroid Tracking Program. 
You can go look it up because uh, I looked it up this week. Uh, let me just read you one quote from an article that Neat put out not too long ago. Quote, a day will surely come when the sheltering sky is torn apart with a power that staggers the imagination. It has happened before. Ask any dinosaur if you can find one. The earth is a dangerous place to live, end quote. Another quote said only 10% or so of the potential Earth-hitting asteroids have been detected. As astronomers believe, and without a systemic early warning system, Earth could be taken by surprise, end quote. Sounds pretty prophetic to me. But John saw cataclysmic chaos. He saw earthquakes. He saw stars fall. He saw darkness. And then it says the heavens rolled up like a scroll. Have you ever seen anything roll up like a scroll? Let me, let me, let me encourage you. Go Google an atomic bomb or blast. And what you will find is a vacuum that happens where literally the air rolls up in the atmosphere like a scroll. That's why I believe the bows and the uh, 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 the, the, the references, the symbolism here is, is nuclear weapons that, that John saw. And what's going to be the response to this? Look at verse number 15. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the military commanders, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne, that's Jesus, and from the wrath of the lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? It's going to be a massive prayer meeting one day when people realize and understand what's happening. But the irony in it all is instead of crying out to the rock of ages, Jesus himself, they're going to cry out to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and kill them so they can escape his wrath. I told you this was going to be a depressing message. <laughs> I told you it was going to be difficult to take. So let me ask you a question today. Um, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Ryan, are you trying to scare me? Listen, if that's what it takes to get you into heaven and to escape the great tribulation, then yes, I'm trying to scare you. And my job is to teach what the word of God says. And whether you're on campus or whether you're at home alone, I just want you to know God loves you more than you could ever imagine or dream. And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but like we learned last week, here's our key takeaway. The way out of the great tri tribulation is the way up to heaven, okay? The way out is the way up. The way up is to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Ask him to, to forgive us of our sins, to come into our life, to lead us and guide us through life as we know it, and to take us to be with him forever and ever in a perfect place called heaven. Listen, church, we've just touched the hymn of the great tribulation period today. We've just talked about six seals. There's actually seven. There's seven more what are known as bowl judgments and seven more trumpet judgments. You can go read about those in Revelation chapter six through about Revelation chapter number 19. It's gonna be a bad time on earth. And I'm just telling you, Pastor Brian ain't gonna be here. You know why I ain't going to be here? Because I know Jesus. And the Bible says that if I know Jesus, God hasn't appointed me to wrath. And he wants me to escape the wrath that is going to come. So the way out 
is the way up. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I know we've talked about some heavy stuff today, and I want to give you just a few moments by yourself with God. I don't know your heart, and I don't know your life, but here's what I know. If you're alive and breathing today on this side of eternity, you are a special creation created by Almighty God who loves you more than you could ever imagine or dream. And I can't talk you into anything. I certainly can't save you and I can't change your life or your circumstance. But you know what I can do? I can point you to the one who can. So here's the invitation for today. Whether you're watching online or whether you're on campus today, um, I want to encourage you to get a copy of a Bible as soon as you possibly can today. Uh, You can pick one up before you leave. You can stop by our Connection Center. We'll give you one if you don't have one. You can click online and download a free version of that. Get a Bible today, and I want you to read the Gospel of John as soon as you possibly can. The same guy that saw this vision that we've talked about today wrote and told us about who Jesus is. And let me encourage you to read through the Gospel of John, and the invitation is going to be simple. When you get to the the end of the Gospel of John, just decide for yourself, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to believe him? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to ask him to forgive you of your sins, lead you and guide you in life, and take you to heaven one day? And if you'll do that, here's what we know, based on the authority of God's word, we will escape the great tribulation period that we've talked about today. So God, I come to you today, and I just thank you for your true word. And Lord, it's been a lot to cover today, and God, I don't mind saying it now, but I've kind of dreaded today. Lord, because this is a hard message. And um, Lord, you lay it out so plainly and so clearly that there's coming a day when you are going to judge humanity and the sin of this world that has been so broken for over 6,000 years. You're going to judge it once and for all. And you're going to clean it up. You're going to fix it. You're going to make it right. And Lord, I can't wait um, to be able to live in that new heaven and that new earth with you for all of eternity. God, my desire, God, my desire is that every person within the sound of my voice today, whether they're on campus or they're online, would say yes to your precious son, Jesus, and invite him into their life and receive the eternal free gift that you made available to us over 2,000 years ago when he shed his perfect sinless blood on Calvary's cross so that we can escape all this. So God, accomplish what you want to accomplish in our lives today. And I pray you'd show up in a big way. And God, as we spend a few moments with you today, help us just be real and transparent and uh, deal with whatever it is that you have spoken to us about today. For it's all these things we pray and ask in your name. Amen. I can invite you to stand to your feet and we'll sing one last song together. This is your time with God.